Welcome everyone to the Chronicle Podcast. I'm Shana Seymour. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, Mother's Day is right around the corner and we all have reasons to celebrate, right? Whether it's a family member, friend, or even a coworker. It's a time to honor and acknowledge all of the wonderful mothers in our lives and mother figures that we all know as well. We also wanted to use this time to advocate for women who suffered trauma during their pregnancies and those who lost opportunities to become mothers and or lost their own lives. So here are some shocking stats. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 700 women, 700 women die each year in the United States as a result of pregnancy or delivery complications. Now this is happening in our own country. Of those deaths, black women make up an overwhelming majority. Later in this podcast episode, we'll be airing Chronicle's Emmy-nominated episode, Dying to Deliver, which covers such topics as pregnancy-related deaths, unconscious biases in the healthcare community, and proper postpartum care. Very important issues. First, though, we are joined here with the producer of Dying to Deliver, as well as our managing editor, Nega Faison. And Nega, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story a little bit with us. Um, tell us, what motivated you to produce this show? So when I was, I was gone last year on a fellowship uh, at Harvard, and I was thinking a lot about the stories I tell and, you know, wanting to come back and, you know, hit the ground running with really quality journalism. And right before I came back, there was a report on um, another podcast, actually, about this epidemic of women in the country dying, giving birth. And one of the women, and then there was a subsequent story about one woman who had actually um, had a near-death experience shortly after giving birth. And she was from Massachusetts. So all I could think was, wow, you know, we hear so much about how great the healthcare system mm -hmm. is in this state, and it is. But I was just like, I need to find this woman. I need to talk to her. And we ended up talking to her um, for this story. And, uh, you know, it was just incredible. One, how candid she was, how willing she was to share her story. Um, but just two, that the story she told was something, you know, the things she said were things that many women talk about saying, oh, I, people didn't seem to believe me or take me seriously when I had these concerns. Um, and also to be quite personal, I had recently given birth when I produced the piece. I was just about five months postpartum. Um, so it hit close to home. You know, with that, can you share with us some of your own pregnancy experiences and what your delivery was like? So I am an African-American woman, for those who can't tell on the podcast. And when you hear these statistics, I think I didn't know this statistic or phenomenon um, existed when I had my first child, but the second one I did. And, you know, you think about your experiences in the hospital and in the, with medical care, and you start to look at it differently and say, oh, I wonder if that was right. Oh, I wonder if it should have happened that way. So overall, I had great care. I had a wonderful doctor. Um, I gave birth at a great hospital. But I do remember after having my son, and I gave birth to him naturally, and it was very fast and oh, extremely painful. Oh. <laughs> extreme, Where was the epidural? Oh, my gosh. It was too, you know what? Even if I wanted one, it, mm -hmm. we didn't have enough time. And a few hours after giving birth to him, 
the nurse, again, I had great care, so I, I really hate to, you know, this has nothing to do with the hospital or, or the nursing staff in general, but one nurse was, seemed frustrated with me that I was in pain. I was kind of limping as I walked and uh, within hours after giving birth, and she kept saying, why are you in so much pain? I don't understand why you're in so much pain. And all I could think was, you know, oh, I can't believe this lady's asking me this. And then at some point I said, well, you know, I did just give birth a few hours ago. And later I heard the story about these women, especially African-American women, having this experience of saying people didn't believe me when I said I was in pain. Mm. And then, and, and non-African-American women. In general, I read a study that said that women um, are not, I don't want to say not believed, but are concerns are not taken as seriously as they are with men. A lot of the research in medicine has been done understanding the symptoms as they present in men. So now we're finally starting to talk more about women and what we go through. So it's not just black women. It is women in general who, when we go through pain, they say, oh, well, you, you know, you gave birth. Many women give birth. You, you know, suffer through it. Just deal with it. And then sometimes you think, yeah, you're right. I should, I should just suffer on not knowing when something is cause for concern and when it's not. So as a woman, you go, we all have a birth story, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. every woman you talk to has some story and sometimes it's hard to tell what's normal and what isn't. When the nurse was asking me why you were still in pain, I thought, should I be over this pain already? You know, but then I thought to myself, no, it's only been a few hours. I'm allowed to limp and, you know, ask for Tylenol. So again, I think, and that the unconscious bias comes into that, um, possibly, I, I don't know for sure, but the study that we quoted in the, in the story, and you helped me work on it, Shana, um, they said that sometimes doctors will see patients of different races and not take their symptoms as seriously as someone of their race or their you know, ethnic background or someone that they feel some sort of connection to, if they, if they feel distant from you, they, they, they feel distant from the pain. And, you know, the University of Massachusetts Medical School is trying to address that unconscious bias, have students be aware of it, and then, you know, not make them feel bad, but say, okay, you have this, be aware of it next time you walk into a patient's room. What was one of the more shocking things that you learned while producing this piece? Well, speaking about unconscious bias, as you said, it's not just, um, you know, against race. Sometimes you have an unconscious, you're biased towards someone of your own race and and for whatever reason. So, um, or someone from your own background or female to female, male to male. It's just, there's so, and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And that's what the medical school is trying to teach their students. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means for some reason this happens. And there are many reasons in people's lives why they have different biases, and then just be aware of that. So that was surprising. What was also surprising was the growing number of women who are seeking care outside of the hospital. There are some women who are saying, you know, I don't want to feel pressured to have medication when I don't want medication, or I don't want to feel, I want to be in my house when I give birth. And some people have made that choice and want are in their house when they give birth. And I think it's great that women are finally trying to think outside of the box and think about their options when it's healthy and safe for them to do so. Sometimes you have to be in a hospital. Sometimes you do need medical intervention. But I think one thing overall that's surprising is one, I think many people are surprised to learn that the United States is not doing as well as other developed nations. Um, But I think it's great that we're finally talking about it and hopefully things will improve.
I think one of the takeaways for me after watching this show is that it's so important to be your own advocate. You have to listen to your body. You have to trust your gut and you have to push and ask questions when something doesn't feel right. Now, what is being done to improve healthcare for women? So there's a commission in the state that looked at the cases of maternal mortality, and there aren't many in Massachusetts, but there have been some at, since the, at least since the beginning of the century in 2000 when they started the, um, the review committee. So they are starting to look at it. Different hospitals have different procedures as far as how to handle when a woman with pre-existing conditions like preeclampsia or um, hypertension, when she's in labor, what to do. And I think just awareness, things like our show, um, and I feel very grateful that our bosses allowed us to tackle such an important topic, and awareness is very important. Now, the show that we're going to be listening to in a little bit again is called Dying to Deliver, Emmy-nominated. We're very proud of you for that. (laughs) But when these women are dying, they're leaving somebody behind. What can we do to support family members in the worst-case scenario? So the man that we interviewed in the piece who lost his wife, his name is Kenny Fuchu, and one thing that he said was he has had so much support from his church community, his local community, people at work offering to babysit, pick up his son for him. So I think sometimes in the world that we live in, we all live on our phones and we forget the world around us. And maybe if we just had a little bit more kindness in the world and if our neighbor needs help or we know someone's suffering, offer it because they might be afraid to ask. They don't want to seem like a burden, but they would definitely appreciate the help. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway as far as helping those um, the victims who end up surviving, the fathers or the partners who are left to care for the child by themselves. Nika Faison, Managing Editor of Chronicle, thank you for joining us today and sharing your experience and giving us some insight into your story, Dying to Deliver. And here it is now for all of you listeners. Little Kenneth Fuchu is always on the go. Kenneth is it's a little outgoing. So. <laughs> Even his toddler tantrums are cherished moments for dad, Kenny, because it took him and his wife, Seveny, nearly a decade to have a child. I think more than anything, that's what you want, more than anything. I can tell you that I never see her that happy when she found out that she was pregnant. She was really passionate about a baby. Was really passionate about that. And when she got it, she passed away. Thirty-five-year-old Seveny Fuchu died during childbirth at a Massachusetts hospital, never getting the chance to meet her son. We told her we were safe. That that is not going to happen here. And. It just, it just happened. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimate 700 U.S. women will die this year from pregnancy or delivery-related complications. If that doesn't seem high to you, consider this. More women are likely to die this year and probably the year after. The rate of maternal mortality in this country is rising, while in countries like Great Britain and Canada, the rate is going down. I think it's for a multitude of reasons. One is that 
just the US population is less healthy in general, particularly if you compare it to the, the countries which overall have very low maternal mortality rates, so some of the Scandinavian countries. Women are having pregnancies later in life in the US, there's more obesity, there's more diabetes, there's more hypertension, and we know that those are gonna confound and complicate pregnancies um, for all women. Scott Schenker is a doctor of obstetrics and gynecology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. He follows up regularly with his high-risk patients, something he believes should happen for all women who give birth. There needs to be layers of support for women and their families after delivery. Relying on one doctor's visit or one midwifery visit six weeks postpartum to talk about, you know, symptoms of uh, postpartum depression or baby blues or whatever you want to call it, and their birth control plan isn't adequate. Yet those first six weeks are when women are most at risk for complications. What was supposed to be the most happy time for my family, it was one of the worst experiences in my life. <laughs> Alicia Nichols was one week overdue when doctors decided to induce her labor. 42 hours later, things were not progressing, so surgeons performed an emergency C-section. During the C-section, I did hemorrhage a little and had to have a blood transfusion. Unfortunately, in that moment, you know, you're not focused on what's happening. It was never really explained why I was bleeding. It was just that you lost more blood and than most do, and you're, you're having a transfusion. It was a difficult delivery that ended happily with a healthy baby girl. Nichols was discharged four days later. At the four-week mark, it was early morning, I stood up and had a large passage of a blood clot and um, a significant amount of blood. Doctors said it was typical post-birth bleeding and sent Nichols home. A few weeks later, she was back at the hospital. I got off the elevator and I um, began to hemorrhage. All I kept thinking is, oh God, my husband's gonna lose me and my baby's never gonna know me, and my older daughter's gonna experience another loss because she had lost her birth mother. To stop the bleeding, doctors removed her uterus during an emergency hysterectomy. Nichols wonders if that could have been avoided. It's something that was never on my radar that I would just wake up and not have a uterus and not be able to have another child. It's a lot of anger, you know, it's, it's grief. It's, you go through a lot of emotions of being sad. Near deaths like Nichols' case are surprisingly common. For every one woman who dies during or soon after childbirth, 70 come close. Fundamentally, it's a, a problem of a lack of investment in the well-being of moms. Neil Shaw is an obstetrician at Beth Israel and an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. He says one group of Massachusetts moms is in extreme jeopardy. They are dying at twice the average rate. There's really only one explanation for why, and it's uncomfortable to say. October 26, 2016, the best and worst day of Kenny Fuchu's life. When his wife, Sevigny, was sent to the hospital two weeks before her due date, they were excited. We both were happy was waiting for, for Kenny. You know, we never thought that something bad was gonna happen. Sevigny Fuchu had preeclampsia, a dangerous pregnancy-related condition. During labor, her blood pressure spiked, her legs swelled, and the baby wasn't doing well. Can it uh, get stuck in the umbilical cord like two or three times? 
and they still was trying to, to make her deliver the baby normally. She cannot do it. She needed a C-section. Kenny had a moment with her before the surgery. I kiss her, I say, don't worry, uh, you're gonna have your baby, and I'm gonna be here, and after this, I'm gonna take you to take a vacation to Punta Cana. Kenny says he wasn't allowed in the room during his wife's surgery. They say, cold blue, cold, cold blue. They let me go into the room after a little while, and I saw Kenny. I asked him, well, what is my wife? It was the worst feeling, the worst feeling. A year later, Kenny traveled to his native Dominican Republic to bury Seveny. Though Dr. Neil Shaw didn't treat Seveny Fuchu, he says the system failed her and continues to fail black women. You're so much more likely to experience risks in childbirth as a black woman than a white woman. And it's uncomfortable to say, but the reason is racism. Of the 700 women who die from childbirth every year in this country, roughly two-thirds of those women are black. The disparity that we see by race, it's not explained by anything other than race. So it's not explained by income. Even when wealth, education, and prenatal care are equal, black women are more likely to die. Tennis star Serena Williams recently discussed her brush with maternal mortality with Vogue magazine. A day after her daughter's birth, Williams correctly diagnosed herself with a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot blocking an artery in her lungs. The 23-time Grand Slam winner felt hospital staff initially ignored her concerns. Even for Serena Williams, like you can have a PhD, uh, you can be the world's greatest athlete, and really nothing seems to protect you uh, as a black woman. Healthcare professionals do care about all of their patients, says Dr. Shaw. He believes the racial disparity in maternal mortality is due in part to unconscious bias. We recognize concerning symptoms a lot later in black women than we do for white women. The fallacy is that when we're taught about race in medical school, we often assume that the risk is due to something genetic. But we all know that there's a component of it that's not genetic. And I think that's an area that's really uncomfortable to discuss, uh, but very, very important to open up and start to consider. And if there's a bias that really shouldn't be interacting with our care, we can be aware of it. In the case of Seveny Fuchu, a state's investigation found the hospital did not fully implement its plan for women with pre-existing conditions. Disparities in maternal mortality should capture all of our attention and cause us to think about the whole system and honestly women have goals in giving birth other than emerging unscathed from the process like that should be the floor we're not even doing that that well but the ceiling should be making sure that care is safe and supportive and empowering more than 10,000 babies are born every day in the united states nearly 200 born daily in massachusetts Keeping mothers around for those babies is a top priority for Dr. Monica Burrell, the Commonwealth's Commissioner of Public Health. We were one of the first states to set up a maternal mortality review committee. So a group of experts looked to see what happened during this tragic event, and really importantly, what could have been prevented or done differently in order to change the outcome. And that's important because we then take that information 
and share it with the clinicians who are involved, as well as the hospital and the health system. The maternal mortality review is just one reason Massachusetts is one of the safest states to give birth. Still, Burrell sees room for improvement, especially in terms of care for women of color. Sometimes there are medical issues, but regardless of what the medical issues are and the quality issues are, this gap is persisting. So we need to make sure that if part of the issue is an unconscious racial bias, that we address that head on. The focus for this part of the course is on race, stereotype. Confronting bias is the focus of a required class at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. The course focuses on conditions that may impact patient health, like their environment and access to healthy food. I talk to them about thinking about what's happening in that individual's life. It's those factors that are so paramount in our health status, education, housing, jobs, transportation. Professor Suzanne Cashman teaches the class along with Dr. Deborah Plummer. They give students what's called an implicit association test, which alerts them to prejudices they may have. If that patient can see those implicit biases, that patient's much less likely to come back to me, much less likely to trust me, much less likely to follow through on my recommendations. Students were surprised by their results. I'm a white woman, female, heterosexual, and my results were that I have a strong automatic preference for um, African-American um, people. I had a slight automatic preference for people who are lighter skinned. What it really taught me was that, you know, these are things that I'm carrying with me every single day, every patient room I go in. That awareness, says Cashman, will make these students better doctors and ultimately save more lives. It's not about guilt. We're not trying to foster guilt. We're trying to help us all raise our awareness. Another possible solution to the maternal mortality problem, increased access to care. We started back to no. doing any work stuff. Nurse midwife Jessica Patrone is the owner of Birth Matters Midwifery Care. Today, she visits a patient at home. This kind of intimate interaction with mothers is why Patrone became a midwife. Society has a lot of fear around birth, whether it's for safety reasons, and or just the experience of it. Most women are told horror stories. It's very uncommon to just hear a positive story. Like, it was amazing, I loved meeting my baby, I felt supported. Sleep is going great. That's the kind of support Patron gives women like Sarah Jenks Brightboard, who gave birth to her third child at home. To be here with all of my stuff in my bed. I mean, I just didn't leave my room for three straight days. <laughs> yeah. The postpartum care is amazing. Being here on my couch in my home with women who are really looking me in the eye and asking me all of the questions and taking their time. And it's just so different. I just wanted that experience. Though still a small percentage, a growing number of women are opting for births outside hospitals. Patron says it's an indication of women wanting more options and more control of their birth experience. Birth is both ancient and new each time and that feels so special to be a part of. I like to see the care that's been given prenatally sort of all comes to this moment of 
labor. We're so grateful for Western medicine when we needed it. But since everything went so well with Hazel, it felt so good to yeah. be home. Mothers of Preschoolers, or MOPS, is a supportive space for women during a difficult phase. Tamara James Todd runs the group. Motherhood can be a really isolating experience, particularly during those early years where, you know, you're running around, you're just trying to manage them, get food on the table. Often your own self-care is out the door. And I felt very strongly that we do a lot in our culture and our society to kind of hyper-focus on our children and we don't do a great job of focusing on ourselves. Boston's MOPS meets in Roslindale, and while predominantly African-American, the group is changing and growing. We have about 20 moms so far. Our MOPS chapter is now about 50-50 as far as African-American and um, women of other ethnic backgrounds, which is really beautiful to see that grow in that, in that way and to see people connect across faiths and across ethnicities. In addition to improved medical training and access to care, support like this is also necessary in order to decrease maternal mortality. Every woman sort of deserves support and coaching through this whole process and monitoring. Uh, and then some of us need medicine too. Support that begins prenatally. We've then been working with our partners across the state to say, what can we do to make sure that individuals who are caring for these women are educated and are screening and asking the appropriate questions and are capable of providing the appropriate care. Support at the time of delivery. A big part of it is just sort of understanding what you deserve out of your care and then partnering with a doctor or a midwife that you feel uh, gives you what you deserve. And support during the crucial first weeks after labor. More focus on the mother. Obviously the child is extremely important, but the child is nothing without the mother. A lot of women don't talk about what they've been through. Um, to this day I don't really have the support group that I feel I need for everything that I went through. Of course, support is essential in the worst cases. When that's not enough, Kenny Fuchu turns to a higher power. Get on your knees and you pray to God. That's a way to communicate, to say what you feel, how you really, really feel, and to help you a lot. Such a powerful message, such a wonderful show. And that is The Chronicle Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Let us know what you think on social media, Chronicle 5 on Twitter and Instagram. And most importantly, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Thanks.